Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and I just want to thank my staff, uh, executive producer, Candace Sanderson, senior editor, Amanda Steele, and binaural production expert, Damien Keller. And now, without further ado, we have Dr. St- Dr. Stephen Fox. And he has written a book about dreams. It is called Dreams Guide to the Soul. And I was just watching uh, his video on it. It is really interesting. And I can't wait to hear more. Thank you for coming on. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. And um, I guess I also kind of forgot to mention you are a clinical psychi- psychologist, correct? That's correct. Wow, fascinating. So, your interest in dreams, well, first of all, I mean, obviously your interest in dreams goes way back, but um, one of the other things that looks like you have another book about your experience with MS, and um, yes. and I think that, does that connect somehow with, with, with your other book on dreams? Uh, yes, in a way. Uh, I had a severe MS for 15 years. Uh, uh, I developed a, a multi-pronged uh, treatment approach, which used both medical uh, Eastern and Western approaches. And part of that was using dreams. And I would use dreams partly uh, to decide what treatments to follow and what, what activities to pursue that might be therapeutic for me. Uh, and it, it made a major difference. That is interesting. So, the information that you receive in dreams to uh, help you decide which treatments to use, like, how did you do that? Did you, like, ask a question, like, before you went to sleep at night and then just interpreted the dream the next day? Yes. Uh, we call it dream incubation. Um, and that is that is literally what what you just said. It's asking a question. Uh, the question I do this with my clients too in, in my practice. Uh, that uh, when we run across a problem uh, and we uh, are searching for an answer, uh, I, I have found that the client's subconscious is a very good uh, resource to use to, to answer difficult questions uh, because nobody knows the client better than the client's subconscious. Um, and uh, the way you do this, or the way I do it, uh, is I have the person formulate a question in their own words. And then within a half hour of going to sleep, I have them write it down three times. Uh, and the purpose of that is not uh, to keep a record of it as much as it is uh, to ingrain uh, the question in the subconscious. There's, there's something very subconscious about writing. You do it without thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the most important thing is to, to write down whatever image they have in the morning. And if they do that for a week or so, uh, it's, it's, it's like 80% likely they're going to have a 
stream uh, related to the question. Uh, sometimes I will have people come in and they will say, well, I have these dreams, but they have nothing to do with the question. Uh, well, dreams use a very strange kind of logic. Uh, and they tell me the dream and I say, well, pretty much the dream gave you a very direct answer. <laughs> and, and we talk about what the answer is. Um, but it, in the case with my MS, to give you an example, yes, I used, I used to be in karate when I was in my 30s. I, I contracted MS when I was 36. Uh, and I, um, I, I was trying to, I was starting to feel a little bit better based on some of the treatments I was doing. And I, there came a point where I was wearing a, a, a leg brace down uh, the length of my right leg. I was using a cane. I was falling down a lot. I had to be wheelchair uh, through the airport to take a flight anywhere. I was in pretty bad shape, but I was starting to feel a little bit better. And I couldn't run at that time. And I used to be a long distance runner in high school. And so my thought was, well, should I try jogging a little bit, you know? Uh, but I decided I was going to wait for my dreams to tell me when the time was right. And, and so when I would go to sleep at night, I would simply uh, uh, do the procedure uh, I described, uh, asking when is the right time for me to start running. Um, and I had a dream uh, at one point that I did a flying roundhouse kick in karate, which is uh, <laughs> one of the most difficult kicks, you, of course, you can do. Chuck Norris. And I took that. I took that as a sign. I was ready to try running, and and I went and I ran for the first time. And I didn't set any speed records, but I was able to jog half decently. So, um, so that that. And I would, I would use, they would give me choices of uh, medications. And uh, one medication in particular, I had images of throwing up. I thought that was the definite no. Um, um, another, um, another uh, medicine, I was, uh, this was more of a vision than a dream almost. I, I was actually in the hospital at that point and I dreamed that uh, they had just started the medication. And I dreamed I had a tribe of Indians doing a, a healing dance around my bed, uh, shaking their tambourines. Uh, and I took that as a sign that this was a very healing medication. Interesting. How, how does the subconscious know what is right for us and what is not right for us. Like to me, the subconscious just seems like this random hodgepodge of, of images and memories and, and, and bits of information um, that are just sort of floating around somewhere in the back of my head. But I always have trouble, you know, attaching those images and, and things to something that's coherent and intelligent. Exactly. Um, you will hear everything about dreams as as it is just a random hodgepodge of, of images. 
uh, versus its virtual reality. Well, the truth is that dreams, your sleep and images you have are all of those things. It just depends on what stage of sleep uh, you had them in. Uh, when you first go to sleep, it more or less is sorted through the information uh, of the day. Um, and later on, uh, it's actually in the later stages of, uh, of your sleep uh, that you get to the virtual reality uh, dream part of it. Um, but um, uh, dreams are very meaningful. Uh, it's only taken me uh, 30 years to get the hang of it. And that's after uh, reading uh, tons of books and and then field testing this on clients and getting to the point where I believed enough in the principles I was coming upon that I I began. I, I used what worked at least 70 to 80% of the time. Mm -hmm. And, and that leads you down a pretty direct road. Um, I... I don't know that I hear I don't know that I hear dreams from an from a, a person with average mental health um, that that doesn't have some meaning. In fact, um, usually the mistake we make with dreams is assume assuming uh, that it that it has no meaning. Um, usually, dreams have much more meaning uh, than than a person would think, and and. The reason is, is because it's really images uh, and very direct images. And uh, for example, uh, if you see a cup in a dream, you have to think about what is the basic function of a cup, of a cup, and and, and in what context does that cup occur? Uh, because uh, the dream has millions of images. It, it could produce. Why is it producing this particular image on this particular day? Uh, and uh, dreams are always based on the day residue of what occurred in a particular day uh, that started a thought process that may link back to things that happened in the past. And there are many different levels of dreams. Um, you ask, how does the subconscious know these things? That that is a very good question. Uh, we're not really sure of the answer. Um, uh, Carl Jung's uh, theory of dream interpretation, which I think is the best uh, theory, um, is actually very radical. Uh, he talks about a collective unconscious that each subconscious of the mankind is hooked into and every thought and every feeling man, every thought and feeling civilized man has ever had is in the collective unconscious. And literally some of the images you get in your subconscious could be from this collective unconscious, uh, which, I, which I have thought of as being more of a cultural effect. Um, but it's, it seems like, um, how can psychics uh, predict things? Uh, we think it's because they're, for some reason or another, they are more hooked into the collective unconscious. You can think of it as sort of a, of an internet of, of subconscious mm -hmm. that links us all. Okay, so, so, so you go by the, the idea that there is a collective uh, 
consciousness and that we are able to tap into it. Kind of like the Akashic records, I guess the Hindus would call exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and as, as a psychologist, you just have fascinating clients every so often. I had a woman who uh, dreamed that uh, a, a gigantic jet was taking off uh, from France and that it exploded, uh, you know, on takeoff. And two weeks later, the Commodore, the supersonic uh, jet, uh, the British supersonic jet took off from Paris and exploded on takeoff. You know, um, what are the odds of that? You know, so so as a, as a clinical psychologist, how does knowing that there's a collective consciousness that almost exists in like in another reality, essentially? that we are connected yeah. to. Th does that change your perspective on like how you help clients? Like I, I know for myself, and I've always kind of felt this way that, that, that people that had mental illnesses, um, like schizophrenia or whatever, I always kind of thought like, well, maybe just their filter is broken. Then they're just not able to filter the two different realities rather than the, you know, one thing being versus one thought or perception being real versus the other not. Well, one thing we know about schizophrenics, uh, for instance, is that they have too ma many dopamine receptors, okay? You use dopamine whenever you think. Uh, that's literally what brings the information into your uh, system. Uh, and what you describe is exactly what they're ex experiencing is an overload of information, uh, these hallucinations and voices and so forth. Um, and we know uh, theoretical physicists can prove there's at least 11 dimensions plus time, okay? We see three of them. Yeah. That leaves a lot of uh, room for a lot of other things going on, and it's all happening here and, and in the now. Mm -hmm. so. so with that model, um, does that sort of lessen the influence of like a cognitive behavioral approach to solving problems? Um, you know, uh, basically, I, I, I started out as a behaviorist uh, mm -hmm. in my training, and I, I, I drifted more towards the psychoanalytic and, and, and towards Carl Jung, uh, the more, the further I got into it. Um, you know, I, I think once, once you get to the point where you know what the problem is and what it stems from, then cognitive behavioral approaches work very well. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, um, and, and actually, there isn't that much distance between cognitive approaches and psychodynamic approaches, I, I, in the sense that they both want to get to where are the thoughts coming from? What experiences have you had? What assumptions are you making? What mistakes are you making in your thinking? Um, they, they, they get there, they get to the same place often by a different route is, is what, what I often think. Interesting. Yeah. One of the things I think that you mentioned 
or one of the topics of your book is like 40 ancient keys. Yes. And, um, yes. What are they and how do they connect to dreams and to the psychotherapy? Or just a couple um, examples. I don't expect you obviously to go through all 40, but yes, 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 yes. Um, basically, I read a lot of books. Uh, okay. Uh, and there's, there's probably some basis to each one of my my rules uh, that I may have extended a little further. Um, one basic rule that Jung would certainly agree with is, and this is rule number one, is that uh, each character in the dream probably represents a different portion of your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's many different levels to dreams. Uh, people like to go to the second level, I, I will call it, and that's the interpersonal level where your wife in your dream is, is your wife in reality or your mother in, in the dream is, is your mother in reality. And that may or may not be true, but uh, the first level where we consider it a part of your mind, uh, that's, that's almost always true. And, and that's uh, the mother in the dream represents the image of your mother that you've taken mm-hmm. into your mind. And it, and it fulfills a certain function and it tends to be different from the, the father interject. We call them interject and mother interject and father interject. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a biological parent. It, it's whoever mothered you growing up. Uh, and it can even be a collection of people. It doesn't have to be just a single person. Mm-hmm. Uh, frequently people growing up in bad circumstances they will put together a host of people to make up their their mothering interject and their their father interject. Um, uh, but a second principle, probably the second most important principle, and I think I'm a little bit unique on this, but I, it would be supported by the things I've read, uh, is that um, uh, the mother interject and and females in your dr- dreams uh, tend to go more with your emotions, uh, whereas uh, uh, males and and father figures in your dreams tend to go more with your actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, when you have uh, male figures in your dreams, the dream is usually addressing what you what you what you need to do, uh, whereas uh, the, the female figures are more. Uh, expressing uh, uh, aspects of your emotions. Hmm. That does kind of go along with, like, um, like one of the things that I've always been interested in is the tarot. And and also, like, you can't really read a book on the tarot without coming across Carl Jung because of some of those standard archetypes that that are in there. Such as the male, rep- the female representing emotions, the male representing intellect or yes. action, and um, yes, things like that. Yes, uh, I do the tarot cards, and I find it. I, I for me, it works as a way. I think uh, I'm finding out what my subconscious <laughs> thinks a lot because how you interpret the tarot cards, mm-hmm. of course. I think uh, comes a lot from your subconscious too. Uh, so I, 
I use it from time to time, just personally, uh, to make to help make decisions sometimes. Hmm. So, what are some of the other keys? Like, do you you, you mentioned actually like, like um, I know Carl Jung talked about like regular dreams, and then he talked about I think something called big dreams, like ones that are like yes. you know life changing type of dreams. Yes. Um, yes. What are how, is there a different way of interpreting the? Do you use the same method for both types of dreams, or is there a different way to interpret the big dreams? Uh, big dreams—they're usually easily rec- recognizable. Uh, uh, many times, a recurrent dream, a, a, a dream that you have over and over, uh, tends to be a big dream simply because this is a conflict that you've run into in the past uh, that you haven't been able to solve and your subconscious can't think of a better answer and so keeps throwing up the the same answer to you uh, in hopes that you will get the message. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also what um, uh, Jung called numinous dreams. I, I wish he had called them luminous dreams because I think that uh, the light, the transcendental awe, and the sacred fear people feel uh, when having these dreams, uh, where everything seems more alive, everything seems more vivid. Uh, uh, they feel like they can actually touch it and uh, hear things uh, more crisply. Um, those types of dreams tend to be the life-changing uh, dreams that people remember uh, and, and, and give them guidance in their life. Um, they asked Carl Jung, uh, no, they asked Albert Einstein, uh, when did he first have uh, thoughts about the theory of relativity? Uh, what were his earliest thoughts in that way? And uh, he said he, he thought it came from a dream he had as an adolescent. He was like 17 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a dream that he was sledding down a hill and the hill, and as he was sledding down the hill, the sled approached the speed of light. And then he looked into the sky and the sky was full of stars and the cosmos opened up to him. And you could see that, that, that the speed of different objects was relative to one another. Now, how does he have a dream as an adolescent before he had done all his research and training that ultimately led to his final conclusion of what he thought about the nature of reality? I don't and, know. <laughs> and and that, is, that is the question. I mean, um, frequently, um, I will have people tell me a dream and and I will interpret the dream and they they um and it will happen what I interpret happens in the future okay um the predictive dreams aren't that uncommon in my experience mm-hmm. you know it's it's one of the six major uh types of dreams um and um and some some people have them very often i have them once in a while um 
my wife, uh, she's deceased uh, two years ago, but she uh, she would have a predictive dream that would be extremely accurate and uncannily accurate, uh, and and it would and it would not uh, it would not seem to be the kind of thing that would be predictable. Um, so how do dreams know this? I think sometimes the subconscious is making its best guess of what's likely to happen. But when you hear these uncanny dreams that don't seem related, particularly particularly to things that have happened previously, uh, you begin uh, to believe in this uh, collective uh, subconscious uh, that knows things, right. you know. This also opens up like a whole nother can of worms about time, whether time is even real or whether everything is already happening at once and the collective conscious knows that. Yeah. Um, you know, physicists talk about the arrow of time and I, uh, you would think uh, that time really can't be traveled if it only goes in one direction on the one hand. Uh, but then uh, uh, when theoretical physicists talk about time, they always say they can't say anything more about it than that it's a point, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, they can't really figure it out either. Uh, and then they, they talk about time-space distortions and the idea that time is related to space and that they directly affect each other. Uh, I think that's a whole uh, can of worms that we haven't even come close to opening yet. Yeah. So. Yeah. I always kind of think of time as, I think it could possibly be a construct of our conscious perception. It's a way for us to deal with reality rather than something that actually exists. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, you know, on a practical basis, it's it's hard to deny time on the one hand, uh, but on the other hand, um, and I think it gets into the idea, and um, when you talk about aliens and all this sort of thing, uh, I wonder if it isn't, isn't uh, a, a factor of just being in different dimensions, that there's things going on all the time here and 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 we don't know everything that's going on we see mm -hmm. uh three tenths of what's going on and uh it's much bigger picture than what we're able to imagine right and even our perception like i sleep for eight hours and it feels like an hour yeah <laughs> you know so, yeah. so just that in itself makes me kind of question you know how i'm perceiving it if i can perceive an entire night's sleep as like an hour of sleep, but yet my waking hours seem to just drag on endlessly. You know, there's obviously you know, some perception involved. Yes. Um, you know, perception of time. Uh, I was in a car accident a couple of years ago, and uh, it really affected my, you know, you hear the idea that uh, we, uh, what we experience is our senses that we don't directly uh, uh, experience reality, really, that it's actually one one step removed, at least. I think I experienced that in this accident. 
and I I see lots of veterans uh, uh, that have been in combat, and many of them will say that when they're in a traumatic situation, time literally slows down. Mm-hmm. Okay, and when I when I hit this other car uh, at a at a I was doing about uh, supposed fifty miles an hour. Uh, when I hit this other car, it seemed, and this sounds so strange, it seems like it took about a minute, uh, the whole happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it, of course, occurred in a matter of a split second. Um, and the, the airbag deployed, and everything was white. And I, and I thought maybe I had died because of all the whiteness. Right. And, and and you're you're probably in an altered state of reality at that point anyway, uh, but it it felt like it occurred over the course of about a minute, and that and I had never and and I talked to veterans who would tell me, yeah, time always slows down, and and these are veterans that have been through many mm-hmm. uh, traumatic experiences. That's interesting. You know. So I know it went off topic a little bit. I'm going to ask you, this is probably a common question that you get asked all the time. There's dreams that everybody has, like sitting in the classroom naked or the dream of losing all your teeth. Why is it everybody has these same dreams? Uh, uh, It's it's because we all have common experiences. Usually, uh, when you dream that you don't have clothes, uh, uh, that's because you feel vulnerable and, and exposed, uh, that there's some situation that's make you uh, feel very vulnerable and very uh, anxious. Um, uh, situations where you're uh, late, for, where you're in school, uh, frequently the dream is talking about what you need to learn <laughs> or uh, <laughs> you're being put through a test of some kind. Um, um, the, the setting usually tells you what area of the life of the person's life uh, right. the dream is addressing. Uh, if it occurs at, a, at some kind of commercial setting, it's usually about your financial or career uh, part of your life. Uh, if it occurs in a hospital, it's talking about healing, usually, uh, things like that. Um, but the one about losing teeth, uh, I'm asked that a lot. <laughs> and I usually go for the, the common denominator uh, that I find with such dreams. Uh, usually is that the person has lost something personal to them. And that, that can be uh, a relationship. It can be... Uh, 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 it can be a personal trait that you feel you've lost. It could be uh, uh, something personal to yourself. It's like losing a tooth. Um, it's 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 you don't like it, uh, but it's it's not something it's not something so major that you won't re- recover from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the similarity of it being something unpleasant and personal. Uh, that you didn't like, but that you're going to recover from is is similar in most cases. Interesting. How about the the classic 
having a nightmare and you think you wake up and you just wake up into the same nightmare over again? Oh, um, well, that depends what, what type of nightmare it is. Um, so it's uh, people uh, chasing. That's always a common oh, the, being chased. Yeah, that's, a, that's an anxiety dream. Uh, is is the easy answer. The more complicated uh, uh, answer is that, remember, each character in the dream is a part of yourself, uh-huh. and usually it's your shadow chasing you, okay? And the shadow is, is the uh, usually the aggressive part of yourself uh, that you need, and you need that part uh, to defend yourself. Uh, but the shadow, it will do anything to protect you. Uh, so it's actually, uh, it, it usually has good intentions for you. Um, it needs the other parts of your personality to keep it in line. But most of us reject our shadow and want nothing to do with our shadow. And so we run from it. Um, and the shadow, it contains the aggressive parts of ourselves. But it also contains the parts of ourselves that we've rejected. Mm-hmm. If I if I rejected becoming a minister, uh, there's a minister in my shadow, okay. Uh, and frequently the shadow is running after you, saying, "Hey, there's there's something here you might want to use," uh, mm-hmm. but we don't want to listen to it, and we reject it, and we run from it. And frequently with clients, what I'll have them do is uh, say to themselves that if they're chased again, that they're going to turn around and face the shadow. And usually, I haven't had a bad result with that. Usually, uh, 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 good things come out of that, because usually the shadow is simply trying uh, to offer a solution to a problem that we don't want to hear the answer. So all we have to do is stop running, turn around, and face it. Usually, usually. Um, I'm gonna try that. Um, I I haven't had a bad I haven't had a bad outcome with that, and this is dealing with uh, people that have been through traumatic situations. Um, we fear that it's going to be negative, and we fear the shadow is after us. The shadow is uh, in in a reasonably healthy person. The shadow is never after us. Right. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Um, falling off a cliff. Uh, I hate yeah. that one. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty direct. I, I mean, uh, babies are born to, with two main fears: loud noises and fears of falling. Uh, so it's 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 pretty biologically uh, based uh, to have a fear uh, and to go off a cliff. Um, you know, it's a warning, and uh, uh, depending on other factors in the dream, you'd, you'd want to look at closely uh, what happened prior prior to that point in the dream, uh, because uh, that's the part of your life where I think the dream is trying to give a warning that, hey, uh, you could be in for a downfall here, you know. Hmm. So... If we have like a regular conscious, a subconscious, collective conscious, 
is there a super conscious? Like, it, you know, does it go to a spiritual level? Is there a spiritual? Do you think from from your research and what you've read and your experience with your clients that there is a spiritual side to dreams? Uh, yes, I think so. Um, in, in fact, that's when, when I talk about the many different levels of dreams. The highest level is the spiritual level. And those are often the transcendental uh, dreams that fill the dreamer with awe. Um, and a typical dream like that is where they, they feel like they've actually um, talked with a deceased person. Mm-hmm. Usually, a, a, a wife, a husband, or a relative. Um, I had a man who uh, he. This was early on in my practice, but he was having uh, panic attacks every day. And what had happened is, uh, he and his family were going to a family reunion, and if. Everyone in his family, his mother, his, his sister, his children, his wife, uh, were in this uh, van. But he forgot something, and he said, he said, oh, I'll take the car. You guys take the van, and I'll meet you there. Um, and what happened is the van got hit by a semi, and everybody was instantly killed. Um, and so he was, and I want to say understandably, having panic attacks every day. Um, and we tried different behavioral things and nothing really worked. And finally, uh, and I had this idea that maybe dreams would give us some answers. Uh, and so we talked about dreams and I asked him to keep track of his dreams. Uh, and I didn't see him for several weeks, uh, but the next time I saw him, he said he no longer had panic attacks. Uh, and he said, uh, and I will tell you this w- was a dream, but I will also tell you <clears throat> that it did not feel like a dream. Uh, the sister in the dream was only one year uh, uh, older than he, and she appeared, she appeared to him in the dream and told him uh, that they all died instantly and that they didn't suffer and they were all in a good place now and that uh, they were just hoping that he would go on and live a good life and he never had another panic attack um and he and these types of dreams it's um the person feels like the the vision is there in person uh uh they can see and feel and hug the person uh, and it's all very um, a sensory, uh, a, a vivid, very vivid in their senses. Mm. Um, I have a friend. He's um, a history professor at Drexel, and he wrote a book on dreams called Dream Patterns. And his interpretation is that uh, about, it's, all, it's all about keeping a dream journal and writing down a dream, yes. dream, you know, writing down your dreams every morning, and then looking for the patterns in all your dreams, and then taking pulling out those patterns, and 
in looking at that part of your life that the patterns of your dreams are pointing to. Is that something that's commonly used? Uh, I frequently find that to be the case. Uh, I, I, uh, I urge people to write down all their dreams if they can, uh, or as many as they can. Um, and I also like dream fragments because frequently people will remember the most important part of a dream um but if you give if you get a series of dreams uh it gives you more of an indication of where the person is going um uh you can think of dreams as you're continuing to work the problem of life every night in your dreams and you're looking at different aspects and if you can get a recorded period of time, let's say a month or so. Um, it's it's just like being able to read all the chapters of the book or a few more of the chapters of the book rather than a single page. Uh, you're just going to get more of the story and know more of what's going on with the person. Interesting. So there is something to looking for the common denominators. Exactly, exactly. Interesting. Um, in um, fact, that's Jung's idea. Jung's major contribution was his idea of archetypes. And these are characters that show up in dreams uh, that is just predictable what they look like, what they act like, what they're likely to do. Uh, it's like it's like knowing uh, characters in a situation comedy on TV. You know that character. You know what they're likely to do. Uh, there's only so many directions it can go, um, but but frequently that will give you a good idea of, of what's going on in the person's life, yeah. and and different characters tend to predominate in different parts of a person's life. Um, do you? think that people, some people will have, um, another one of the common dreams that, I don't, not, you know, it, it's a flying dream, you know, and I know some people have them and some people don't. And for a long time, like personally, I didn't. And then I just started trying to tell myself before I would go to sleep, I said, look, I want, I, I want to have this flying dream. I want to have a flying dream. And it took about a month, but then I did it. <laughs> and, um, but one of the interpretations, I think, of sometimes a flying dream, sometimes people associate it with something called astral projection, where they're actually leaving their body and traveling somewhere else. Um, do you think that people are able to kind of move out of their physical body and go other places when they're dreaming? Uh, yes, I do. Um, basically, uh, this is <laughs> this is. A, a principle I came on that I think actually other people have had, uh, and I, I stumble across it every now and again. Um, but I noticed uh, the closer you come to flying like Superman, the more likely, I, I noticed that when people had a Superman uh, type of flying dream, that usually their life was going to change in a significant way within about a year, year and a half. Um, and your question directly relates to uh, uh, 
there was a, a person presenting and they were presenting on out-of-body experiences. I've never had an out-of-body experiences. I'm more focused on in-body experiences. <laughs> but anyway, one of the questioners asked him, um, what's the closest you can come to having an out-of-body experience in a dream? And he said, oh, that's easy. Uh, when you dream that you're flying. Uh, so, uh, um, I, I, and I've had very rational uh, people uh, in high levels of government, very responsible, uh, very uh, uh, rational, logical people uh, who've had the experience of astral projecting when they weren't trying to do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, um, and there's been people like that. So, um, I, it would be a great thing to experience. Yeah, that's one of the things that I'm have been pretty much experimenting with since I started this podcast. Like a lot of my guests have got me interested in it. Um, one, I want to give you. I, I had a dream once. This and this is one of those dreams that that really seems super real to me, and uh, and it was strange too. I had a dream that I was at some kind of, and everything, it was first the landscape. The landscape was gray. It wasn't day or it wasn't night. It was always gray, 24 hours a day at this place. And we there was there's all these cabins and people lived in the cabins and I lived in one too. And my only job there was to sleep and have dreams. And then these other people would come from the city, you know, and give us food and stuff like that, make sure we had everything we need. And it was like really nothing in these cabins and stuff like like basic stuff. And, and my job was just to, to to hang out there and dream. So I had a dream that I was in a, like this this weird village, and my job there was to go to sleep and dream. What would you make of something like that? Uh, how old were you when you first started having that dream? I don't know. I mean, I mean, I think I really just started just having this dream maybe within the last year or so. Okay. Okay. Um, interesting. Um, uh, it reminds me, uh, in Greece, I guess, they actually used to have temples where uh, part of the healing was they had temples where people were that's what they did is they were supposed to go there and sleep and dream and they they would try to get some healing energy uh from that um but it was neither day nor night yeah it was, in, it was always dream. like sort of like this hazy gray and it was and it was that way i guess on purpose so you could kind of sleep anytime so it was never too bright or too dark yeah yeah, yeah. uh uh, do you have any problems with sleep? Uh, do you sleep okay? Uh, well, I I I, I used to, I, I have sleep apnea, but now I use a CPAP. And since I got the CPAP, now my dreams are like way better than they were before, and are really kind of okay. cool. So, okay, did you did the great? Did you have these dreams before the CPAP? Yeah, yeah, it was before the CPAP. Okay, okay. Because, um, you know, I wonder if there isn't a practical nature of the to this dream that you really didn't fully enter in. 
you know, it's neither day nor night in, in this dream. And you're kind of in this great uh, haze. And that's sort of what you're in with sleep apnea, that you really don't get the complete uh, sleep cycles. And you really just don't get uh, the full sleep that mm -hmm. you need. And I, and I wonder if that is a, a sign that the dream was saying, hey, man, you need to really sleep, you know, um, and it just wasn't occurring. That's That could be it because it, it wasn't long after that. Like my, my wife was always harassing me about going to the doctor for it. And, and I finally like like ran after that dream, yeah. I'll say, well, not right after, but I'll say a month or two, I finally gave in to it. You know, I said, all right. I'll do it. I'll go. Yeah. Uh, Cause I really, I really see, just want to sleep not, anyway. The dream, the dream, the dream is telling you, you're not really asleep or you're, or awake. You're in this gray haze of just uh, kind of trying to get sleep and mm -hmm. you're just sort of existing and, you know, yeah. And it's interesting too, that you mentioned that, that story about the place in Greece and using dreams as something healing. Cause Maybe that's what I really needed to heal because since then I felt a hundred percent better. Yeah, great, great. Hmm. Um, my wife, she she had sleep apnea, and uh, her life changed dramatically for the better uh, when she uh, used the machine. Yeah, me too. too. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I want to throw out my flying dream to you. This, this one was weird, okay. weird too. Because um, I did this one on purpose because I really wanted to have a flying dream. So uh, every night before I go to sleep, I was just kind of say like, I want to have a flying dream. I want to have a flying dream. And I'd hope to have it. And, uh, and a lot of times, you know, I didn't. But then I finally did. And but I wasn't alone. There was something flying with me that I could not see but somehow it, it, it was able to communicate with me. And um, I, I started to fly, and I'm flying over the clouds and stuff. And somehow like, I knew I was over some town in Pennsylvania. And we, we landed in this town, and I knew it was in Pennsylvania, but it was like an astral version of Pennsylvania. And there were these little houses, or like little tiny, like, like regular human houses, but smaller. And... And I looked in the window and I saw these like little gray like alien people in there, and the guys and the guy, whatever it was with me said, um, "Don't let them know that you're here. You can only observe, but you cannot interact." And that's like all I remember of it. But it was really a, a vivid. And, you know, I had the flying. It was strange. Yeah. Uh, uh, what is Pennsylvania to you? Did you live there? Or? Uh, the only thing that I would say that Pennsylvania means to me is like that's where my mother was from. Like some of my family was from Pennsylvania. Okay. So we would go there okay. sometimes, but not often. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, what do, what are your feel? <laughs> I want to ask you what are your feelings about going to Pennsylvania? I've always kind of thought of Pennsylvania as kind of a dirty place. Okay, I've never really because been, never really been my what, favorite place. What the, yeah, what the dream is saying is uh, 
And and the person that's with you, are they kind of asking you, what are you doing here? No, they're, they're telling me, that they, it's like they brought me there to see these these beings, to show me that these beings were there. And yeah. that, I was, that I could see them, but I wasn't allowed to like interact with them, and, and they weren't allowed to see me. Okay, okay. Well, uh, let's put it this way. <laughs> Is Pennsylvania and what you experienced there pretty alien to what your life is now? No, no. I would probably say my life now is probably closer to what I had experienced in Pennsylvania. Really? Yeah, because I grew up in New Jersey, and now I live in Alabama. And, And sometimes, like, living here, is a little bit more like what I would have experienced in Pennsylvania during like the seventies. Okay. Okay. Uh, do you have a particular interest in the aliens? Huge interest. I, 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 I do yeah. alien interviews almost every night. <laughs> I'm talking about aliens yeah. with somebody. Yeah. It's almost an obsession yeah. with me. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it's it's occurring. Were, were you born in Pennsylvania? No, I was born in Princeton, New Jersey. Okay. Um, uh, where does Pennsylvania enter in, in your life? Um, my mom has some family there. Okay. Like my great-grandparents live there, and I had a few cousins that lived there. So, like, once a year, okay. we would have to go there and visit for a weekend. Okay, okay. Is that connected in to your interest in aliens somehow? You somehow get interested in them? No, definitely no. Okay. Well, um, the positive thing about it is um, the flying and the interest in aliens. You know. Um, uh, that that's that's part of your personal power, I, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's something you're interested in, uh, and something, uh, you know, not nothing bad is happening in the dream. No, uh, it's it's more or less no, a curiosity cool. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but um, it sounds like it was a pleasant dream. Yeah, yeah, very pleasant. Yeah, so it, uh, basically, I would take this dream as a recommendation that your personal uh, power, your personal interest in the aliens, I think, is being explored there and encouraging it. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, I'm definitely doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. So, so what are some of the other things uh, that that are in your book that that I won't find in other dream books? Um, well, um, I I take a different uh, point of view on uh, post traumatic stress dreams. Uh, basically, uh, uh, those dreams really don't need to be interpreted. Usually, they're a replay of something traumatic. Uh, that has happened. Um, and also with uh, 
with veterans, I see a fair number of veterans uh, for the VA. And uh, I've come across this numerous times of delayed post-traumatic stress disorder where the person has uh, PTSD symptoms uh, 20 and 30 years after they were out of combat. Hmm. Um, and they, and they, what's similar to those cases is um, they were in combat, uh, they returned, they lived uh, a pretty uh, okay life, I wanna say, and then when things started to get dramatically better in their lives, then they started to get PTSD symptoms. And, and the puzzle to all this is uh, what is going on? Uh, circumstances in the person's life have dramatically gotten better. Why are they having PTSD symptoms? Um, and the way I explain it to people is uh, that um, Basically, it takes a certain amount of energy to keep those experiences suppressed. Uh, and when things improve in your life, in your subconscious uh, estimates that you now have the energy to deal with the stress that you live through, uh, 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 it says, hey, let's unpack some of that uh, stuff you went through. And when it unpacks it, uh, unfortunately, it tends to come out all at once, and then the person re-experiences uh, the, the PTSD. Um, and so, in a way, it, it tends to be a vote of confidence by your subconscious that you're now ready to look at the things that were so traumatic that your subconscious right. simply suppressed them that doesn't because you had to go me. on with your life. Yeah. Yeah, the, the subconscious seems to be notorious for for knowing just the right time to break something up. Yeah, yeah. It, but it, it's so strange because the person said, but hey, my life was going back. <laughs> That's like what it's waiting Why for, though. It's it like good? waiting for you to be in a position where you can handle it. I think. Exactly, exactly. It, I mean, I guess at the time, like to a, a person, it might seem like, oh, this is really weird because everything's going well and there's nothing outside happening but the subconscious is looking at it as like all right this this is the time that this person will actually be able to to look at this issue and cope with it so i'm going to bring it up now yeah 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 the subconscious yeah. is pretty smart yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean it, um it's always making its best estimation of what I mean, you hear that old saying, you're never given more than what you can handle. Well, that's your subconscious working at it, uh, trying to regulate it so that you're not totally overwhelmed. Yeah. Do you ever come across people where the subconscious doesn't do its job and, and, and they do just get yes. completely bombarded with trauma and misery? Yes. Um, and that's that's literally being overwhelmed with PTSD. Um, and people can have very severe symptoms from uh, PTSD. I mean, I've had numerous veterans that did not want to go to sleep uh, because they, they experience nightmares almost every night uh, and scream out in their sleep. Uh, and so 
they sleep maybe a couple hours at night, if that. Um, um, I've had veterans that literally lose a lot of their memory because the subconscious makes the decision that, you know, we're going to uh, shut down the memory of things that have happened. Um, uh, and the unfortunate thing is, is a lot of things tend to be connected in your brain. So it's hard to shut down just selective things uh, and you end up blotting out more memory than, than you want to blot out. Mm -hmm. And so they end up having memory problems. Yeah. Um, hypnosis. Is hypnosis a useful tool to dig things up from the subconscious? Or is it more like it's planning ideas in the subconscious? You know, that's that's can be the problem with uh, hypnosis uh, that um, the person is put in a trance and uh, you can literally change uh, somebody's memories uh, sometimes by uh, by suggestion. I mean, we call it the power of suggestion. Um, and that's that's why it's harder for that to stand up. Uh, in court, uh, what tends to work better for uh, post-traumatic stress is EMDR. Uh, it's eye movement uh, desensitization and reprocessing. Mm -hmm. And basically, uh, you uh, you move your hand in front of the person's eyes, and they're watching it, and you're asking them to think of the traumatic experience while they're they're watching your hand go back and forth uh and it sounds simple but if you do that and you're thinking of something traumatic what it tends to do is it tends to bl blot out the present moment and it puts you back into that situation more fully uh and people that i've done this with uh they almost always remember things much more vividly and it stands up in court because you have not suggested anything. Um, you you do that for about, let's say, 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And then you ask them what they're experiencing. And they will tell you. And then you pick out something of what they said and ask them to focus on that aspect of it. And you go another 30 seconds. And you keep doing this. And the person keeps getting deeper and deeper into it to the point that they almost re-experience it. With hypnosis, they tr try to do an ab reaction. They used to call it an ab reaction, where under hypnosis, they would take the person back uh, to the situation, uh, have the person describe it, and the person would experience the situation in all, in, in all its full terror and it really was a horrible experience um and this seems much more neutral i want to say um and the processing seems to occur i mean we literally have to warn people that they're likely to continue having vivid experiences after the session um and the person has to be fairly well 
put together to do this uh, because if if they're prone to dissociation, uh, literally they can have dissociative experiences more uh, from doing this with them. Uh, so you got to be careful which patients you do this with. Uh, but most people are, are able to do it with, with successfully and get benefit from it. And it tends to be a preferred treatment for PTSD. Do you think it's dangerous? Like, like, there's a lot of people now that are not clinical psychologists, life coaches, and, and people with online hypnosis certifications pretending at pretending to be experts on things like PTSD and trauma and things like that. Do you think that's dangerous and could be harmful to people that, that go to these other so-called experts rather than somebody who's actually, you know, spent, you know, 10 years in school learning their craft? Um, I think it can be dangerous with people that have trouble with reality, okay? If you have someone that, that's uh, bordering on schizophrenia uh, and you twist their reality, uh, you could help push push them into a, a psychotic episode. Uh, so that is possible. Um, um, you have to be careful. Like I say, uh, people that are prone to dissociation, you uh, uh, and especially with hypnosis, that is dissociation of a type. Um, and and some people may not be able to handle it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think experienced hypno hypnotists, I, I, I think that have done it a lot of years, they eventually learn what people they can do it with and what people they yeah. can't do it with. Uh, but I, I, I worry about uh, the beginner, I guess I would say. Uh, who doesn't have the experience? Hmm. Yeah. Well, and one of the other things is, um, like, this is really common because I'm a podcaster, and there's a like podcasts are just inundated with these life coaches now, and like these yeah. life coaches, I don't know. They basically take people's money, they give them really practical advice, and then tell that person to start a podcast and create other life coaches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, it's kind of a uh, a pyramid scheme at that yeah. point, I guess you would say. Yeah. Um, yeah, but what worries me though about um, these life coaches is like people that are really dealing with severe mental trauma or issues, and they go to one of these life coaches and get misdirected. Yeah, you know, life coaches—they're uh, probably best for high-functioning people, like executives or. Uh, people that are trying to write a book or something like this, uh, and, and in a specific area where they have skill um, um, and where they're teaching the skill, maybe, uh, is probably the most appropriate use of, the, uh, of them mm -hmm. uh, in, in my world. <laughs> anyway, so. I don't know. I tend to yeah. just look at them as a menace to society. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
you know, it depends what area and, and, and to what extreme they're taking. Them. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's weird. It's like paying somebody to be a friend. You know, I, I give out advice to people for free all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, that is literally why I like dreams a lot because if I'm doing my job right, it mm -hmm. isn't me telling them what I think they should do. I, I mean, I literally, I will interpret the dream the way it's laid out, whether I believe the dream or not. Uh, I may tell the person that I don't believe the dream, uh, but I, I've, I've since found that the dream is much more likely to be correct than I am. Yeah, I, I tend to be about 70% correct on a good day. Uh, dreams tend to be about 90% correct. Um, <laughs> I, I I had this guy, he was about uh, this close uh, to uh, living on the street, uh, but he was having these wonderful dreams. And I would look at him and I would say that I feel half crazy uh, saying this, but I'm committed to doing this. And this is what the dream is saying. Uh, within about uh, six months to a year, uh, he eventually got a job, he got, got a house, uh, 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 he got married, uh, and then he had a financial windfall. He inherited a major sum of money. Um, how does the subconscious know that, you know, and you end up asking yourself that question. You, you asked that question early on in the interview. Um, yes, where does this information come from? Uh, but it, it seems uncanny and it happens often enough that you ask me, is there a spiritual aspect of dreams? Uh, the more you do dream interpretation and the longer you do it, uh, the less question you have about there being a spiritual aspect to it. Wow. Do you believe in God? Uh, yes. Uh, I'm like Deepak Chopra. Deepak Chopra uh, says you don't have to go looking for God. God is inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, I have. I just I believe that the universe is just alive with some type of consciousness that's way beyond my understanding, and I'm just a part of it. And it's all pretty cool, you know. Uh, and I and I'm totally cool with that. I I, I frequently think maybe the universe is God. Yeah. I, uh, you know, uh, it's it seems to be infinite. Uh, it's uh, every a quality you want to ascribe to God could be ascribed to the universe mm -hmm. from what we can tell. That's know? cool. Um. Yeah. So. This isn't a dream-related question, but it's definitely relevant. With everything that has happened with the last in the last year with COVID nineteen and the weird environment in the United States, have you noticed? Is it affecting people's mental health? Oh God! Oh God! Um, I have people. Uh, um. I have black clients, you know, the cop shootings uh, th that they're traumatized by and, uh, you know, worried that somebody's going to, you know, it makes them more suspicious than they would normally be. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, uh, 
um, the political chaos. I mean, uh, sometimes people go on for 15, 20 minutes talking about the politics before they start talking about their lives, you know. So it, it's very much front and center and uh, affecting people's functioning. Do you think it's going to have a long-term effect on society and mental health? Um, I think it has had a major effect. I mean, uh, when was the last time the capital of the United States was attacked by its own people? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, uh, how sane is that? Uh, um, uh, that that was. I think that's. I've lived in more stressful times, I think, probably, but I, I don't know that I've lived in such strange times, you know, mm. as the, especially with COVID. You know. So as a psychologist, um, what is it that you think motivates people to believe in something like QAnon, or do you think that people are eating human babies? Yeah. You know, um, I mean, that's, that's pretty extreme. Many, belief. <laughs> yeah, many, many of the people I think have been uh, may have been sexually mistreated themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that they're living that, you know, they're they see it as they don't don't want this to ever happen to anybody else. Uh -huh. And, and it, I, it can be various levels of mistreatment, too. So. Mm -hmm. That's kind of interesting because that, that makes it very easy to feel compassionate towards some of these people. Yeah, the, the deepest, uh, the clients that have the deepest belief in it were uh, mistreated in one way or another. And they, they, their, their thought is, why isn't everybody 24 hours a day uh, trying to stop this from happening? I, I, because they have seen uh, the terrible consequences it had in their own lives. Wow. Hmm. So it's almost like uh, somebody's taking advantage of, of, of people that have already been victimized and, and using that to create some kind of agenda. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I, I think... Um, a lot of them are male, are, um, they mean well, but they, uh, they over, they over believe what they are being told mm -hmm. uh, by people that have different purposes for their information than trying to solve the problem that the followers think should be solved. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. Wow. See, that's interesting because, you know, like, like, like that's the kind of perspective that I think should be put out into the public, you know, on the news rather than everybody fighting with each other, you know, like, like something like that. Everybody can relate to and everybody can feel it. And yes, it, 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 it takes the you versus me out. And it's just like, oh, OK, I, I see why you're hurting and why you're like this. And and and. And yeah. that compassion just changes the entire situation. Yes, um, it's it's like I had a uh, a person I know that 
was against vaccines, and I'm very much for vaccines. Uh, and then when I got talking to her, I guess her husband had had a reaction to a vaccine that a doctor uh, thought uh, some things were caused by this vaccine, and that's why she was against it. And all of a sudden, I understood mm-hmm. her her viewpoint, uh, whereas I wasn't understanding it prior to that. So uh frequently it's it's you know um i think uh, trump knew this especially that the easiest and and nixon knew this too and he uh, they would even talk about this that the easiest way uh, it's much more easy to get votes by uh galvanizing people's fears uh, uh i mean um uh, gathering their hopes is a good thing and i think obama did that very effectively and mm-hmm. honestly um but there there is the dark side does have a power and it's it's playing on people's fears um and if you if you can get the one issue that people are going to respond to that's what can carry you through mm. Yeah. Is there anything um, dream-related that people can use to help overcome some of the anxiety and fear that people are currently experiencing? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, there's, um, well, frequently dreams give advice, uh, about, and that's what my more recent book is about. Uh, is I tried to point uh, to how dreams actually give advice. Uh, and, and, and usually that's why I do dream incubation with clients uh, to ask specific questions. Um, and usually if you ask specific questions, uh, the dream will give an answer. It may not be direct, exact to the question you're answering because maybe you're, ans- you're asking the wrong question Mm -hmm. Uh, but dreams are usually go to that general area. Um, and that, and that's why I like to, to have the person's subconscious sort of guide us where we need to go. Um, but dreams will frequently give you an answer about what you, what you need to do. And, and most frequently it gives warnings about what not to do, (laughs) which seems to be almost more important. Yeah. You know? That's interesting. So, so, so people can use the dream dream incubation technique to help find answers and ways to navigate, you know, some of the difficult times that we're going through, you know, a, as a tool for for reliable advice. Yes, I I think so. I think um, it is like I say. It's um, I didn't. I've always been okay at interpreting dreams, but I didn't really feel like I, I was I was I was good, really good at dream interpretation until I've been doing it for about ten years, and and now I've been doing it for over thirty years, <laughs> uh, so I've, I've sort of gotten the hang of it, um, and I I can really deliver interpretations uh, uh, that uh, that will that. Per- most of a lot of reactions to my dream interpretations is wow i never thought of it that way before so at least i'm given a different perspective 
hmm. uh, that their subconscious can then work on and give us more information about where we need to go. Interesting. So before we wrap this up, do you mind if I ask you a silly question? Sure. Because I've asked just to like a couple other dream interpretation people. If I dream about having sex with somebody other than my wife, is it considered cheating? No. <laughs> no. In fact, that's probably what the third most important principle in my book. And I am a little bit unique on this one. But uh, remember, if, if men represent your actions and women uh, represent your emotions, and uh, sex is an integration of your actions with your emotions, and it's usually a positive sign. Um, and remember, at the first level, this is what I mean about the, the first level and the second level. The second level, uh, a person would say, oh, my God, you're cheating on your wife. Mm -hmm. uh, at the first level, no. Uh, um, I would ask you about the person you were having sex with. What uh, is she like? Uh, what qualities? And and what that that tells me is uh, what emotional qualities you're trying to integrate into yourself. Oh. Interesting. That's the best answer I've ever gotten to that question. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. But but I mean that is usually the mistake people make is people immediately go to the second level. And sometimes it's true, but it's it's only about fifty percent reliable, whereas the, the first level tends to be about eighty percent reliable. Hmm. So yeah, I, I I had a a girlfriend once and she would say that if I ever had a dream about another woman it was considered cheating. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah and many people you know they would consider that an emotional affair mm -hmm. uh, and i've had clients that their girlfriend would get jealous at them watching a tv show with a beautiful actress you know <laughs> and I, I don't know you know um there's a the, the the level of trust isn't high enough there i i would say <laughs> yeah, that might be the obvious one <laughs> really, really really um so before we wrap it up where can my listeners find you um well the best place to find me is is my books uh if they go to drfoxdreams.com that are taken uh, to my book but i also have a blog and that's probably a, a good place to read my dream interpretations and get an idea of what I'm about. It's uh, Dr. Fox blog. That's D-R-F-O-X-B-L-O-G uh, dot com. Dr. Fox blog dot com is probably the best place to go. Awesome. So I will post a link to that in the notes of this episode. I'll also post a link to your books on Amazon as well. So my listeners can, uh, find you and check you out while they're listening oh thank you thank you this was a fantastic interview you're really interesting thank you for taking the time to talk <laughs> to me this evening okay thanks a lot it's been a great interview thank thanks you. a lot all right and just hang on one second and i just have to play the outro okay 
Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.